Our second scripture reading today is the same as the words we just sang together, but they are words that we can't hear often enough. So hear now these words from Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high, I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. That I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A number of years ago, the Reverend Jeremy Troxler visited a cemetery in the Channel Islands. This cemetery is dedicated to soldiers who died during World War II. The thing about this cemetery, Reverend Troxler says, is that no one knows exactly who is buried there. It's the cemetery that honors the unknown soldiers of the war. Now there is a gravestone there for each one, as best they were able to determine, but there are no birth dates and no death dates. There's not a single name. But even still, those gravestones are not empty. Inscribed across each and every one of them are the words, known by God. It is a remarkable thing to be known by God. It is holy, and I submit to you, it is the source of our greatest joy. We'll be talking about joy for the next several weeks here. The Westminster Catechism is among the primary statements of faith upon which our Presbyterian tradition stands. It's written in question and answer format, and back in the day, in many churches, prior to joining, you were expected to memorize large sections of it and be prepared to answer any of the questions that selected at random might be asked of you. 
Now, I am grateful, and I suspect that at least some of you are too, that we no longer engage in that practice. I don't think those questions and answers ought to be mandatory, but neither do I think they should be forgotten. Especially the very first question, as it appears in both the longer and shorter versions, it reads, what is the chief end of humanity? Or in other words, what is our purpose? Why are we here? And why should we even bother to get up every morning? What is the chief end of humanity? According to the Westminster Catechism, it is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. To glorify God, Now, I don't want to sound presumptuous here, but by being together today, by coming to worship at all, I think, or at least I hope, that we are bringing glory to God. I hope that we all do that at other times as well, but at a minimum, we do our best with that here each week. But that's only half of the answer, to glorify God and enjoy God forever. When is the last time you enjoyed God? When is the last time you thought, I absolutely delight in God? It's a question that we might not ask ourselves very often, but we ignore it at our own peril. Recently, a remarkably distinguished panel of theologians, including Jürgen Moltmann, Marianne May Thompson, N.T. Wright, and Miroslav Wolf, all contributed to a book centered around one theme. It was centered around their conviction that joy stands at the very center of the Christian life, and that it well might be the American church's lack of attention to joy that has contributed to the decline of so many congregations. Now sometimes we mistake happiness for joy. Happiness feels good, but it is always fleeting because it's dependent upon conditions. Joy, on the other hand, is unstoppable. It is a state of being. So with that in mind, when is the last time you thought about how joyful you are or how joyful you might be? Prophets and poets, professors and pastors of all different varieties have weighed in on their definition of joy. From the Apostle Paul to St. Augustine, from Moltmann to Matthews, from Krista Tippett to Ross Gay, theologians of all times and places and circumstances have offered their thoughts, and they vary greatly, but they agree on one thing. They all agree that joy is not fully possible without both human and divine connection. In other words, joy is not possible without our being connected both to what is happening right in front of us and to what is happening far beyond us. We'll come back to this in the weeks ahead, but for today, first and foremost, what we know of joy, we know because we belong to God. You belong to God. 
A God that knows you and loves you simply because you are. Not because of anything you have done, not because of where you live or what you do, not because of the balance of your bank account or your list of good works, not because of the depth of your faith or the degrees on your wall. You belong to God who knows and loves you simply because you exist. And never have I heard this better expressed in human terms than by a six-year-old boy named Alex. Alex was in the room one day when a news report came on the television about a bombing in Syria. The enduring image of that tragedy was a little boy with a head wound. Alex couldn't stop thinking about that little boy, so he wrote this letter to then-President Obama. Do you remember the boy who was picked up by the ambulance in Syria? Can you please go get him and bring him to my home? You can park in the driveway or on the street. We will be waiting for you with flags and flowers and balloons. We will give him a family and he will be our brother. Catherine, my little sister, she will be collecting butterflies and fireflies for him. In my school, I have a friend from Syria, Omar. I will introduce him to Omar. We can all play together. We can invite him to birthday parties and he will teach us another language. We can teach him English, too, just like my friend Aoto from Japan. Please tell him that his brother will be Alex, who is a very kind boy, just like him. Catherine will share her big blue stripy white bunny, and I will share my bike, and I will teach him how to ride it. I will teach him additions and subtractions in math, and he can even smell Catherine's lip gloss, which is green. She doesn't let anyone else touch it. Thank you very much. I cannot wait for you to get here. Alex didn't know anything about that little boy. He didn't know his name or his age, his favorite food or his hobbies. He just saw his picture and knew he was a little boy that needed to be loved, that needed a place to belong. He knew nothing else, and even still, he wrote, we will give him a family, and he will be our brother. If a six-year-old is capable of this kind of welcome and acceptance, how much more so is God? You belong to God, no matter what. Now, I imagine that there may be some of you who are thinking that no matter what applies to everyone but you, that you are the exception to the rule. And so if you happen to be in that place today, remember the cemetery in the Channel Islands. Remember that the truest truth about you is that you are known deeply by God, and the God who knows all about you claims you. And remember the promise of the psalmist. You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. 
If I am being honest, the first thing that comes to mind when I hear you have searched me is the security line at airports. I have gone through security lines 18 times this year. I am not an anxious traveler, and yet each and every time I make it through the metal detector or the body scanner, and each and every time my bag makes it through the x-ray machine, I still breathe a sigh of relief, as if a bottle of liquid totaling four ounces instead of the allowable three might have worked its way into my bag unbeknownst to me. Being searched isn't always the most comforting thing to think about. It can actually make us feel incredibly vulnerable. Maybe that is why, paradoxically, this psalm shows up in so many of our most vulnerable moments. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even darkness is not dark to you. I have recited those words in a hospital room before surgery, at a bedside right after a death, I have recited these words welcoming a newborn baby and saying goodbye inside of prison walls. Because these words reassure us that the God we belong to knows everything about us from the hairs on our heads to the beat in our hearts, from the mistakes we made yesterday to the good we will do tomorrow. God knows all about us and in spite of that, no, actually because of that, God loves us. You belong to God. There are no take-backs, no exceptions, no trial periods, no probation. You have been searched and found acceptable. You have been found more than acceptable. You have been found beloved. Howard Thurman said it this way, In the presence of the knowing God, we are relieved of all necessity of pretending. This does not mean that our limitations are extinguished and that our sins are no longer sins. What it does mean is that in the presence of the knowing God, even our limitations and sins can be dealt with. There is nothing that cannot be understood and dealt with in our lives when we are in the presence of the all-comprehending God. What a relief that we have no need to pretend. While he was in prison, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a poem called Who Am I? He wrote about the difference he perceived between what others said about him and what he felt about himself. He wrote, Who am I, this man or that other? Am I then this man today and tomorrow another? Am I both all at once? Am I an imposter to others, but to me little more than a whining and despicable weakling? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, you know me, God, you know I am yours. You do not have to pretend. You are known through and through, and whoever you are, you belong. 
That is one of God's greatest truths and deepest joys. May we find joy in it as well. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.